Hello and welcome to The Curator on Monaco Radio with me, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. In the next 60 minutes, I'll be bringing some of the very best interviews and reports from the past week. And of course, this week is a very special Christmas edition of the show. We speak with Santa. Of course, elves have to practice and there's all kinds of elves, but they are all very handy. Plus, we pay a visit to Lapland, but here in the UK. These children that come, they're likely to remember you, not next week, next month, they're likely to remember you for the rest of their lives. All that and much more in the next hour, here on The Curator, with me, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show talking with the big man in the red suit. Yes, that's Santa Claus. And here is Monaco's Tom Edwards talking to him. Santa, yes. a warm welcome here at the Monocle Christmas Market. I've taken you away from your special station where you're greeting everybody and presumably busy granting Christmas wishes. Yes. Um, but thanks for speaking to us. How are you this year? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. <laughs> well, I, I always worry that people don't ask you how you're doing. Tell me how... Usually you... they do ask. Oh, they do? Yes, okay. they are very polite. <laughs> Maybe they are worried about me because I, they think I'm very busy and I'm very old, but I'm not too old. Now, you're still very much in, in your prime. Tell me, when you arrive here in the UK, yes. is there a different mood? Are there, are there different behaviours in the children? I don't know, did you come in, I think, from, from Finland yes, directly? Yes, I came from Lapland, yes. Are the, kids, are the kids similar or do you notice different things when you're in different places? Well, not so much different. Kids are all the same everywhere. It depends on, you know, how the parents behave. For example, when they come to meet me and want to discuss with me. <laughs> when the parents are brave and active, so the children are, you know, they don't be afraid that much. If they just push the children to my lap, it is very exciting, too exciting sometimes. So, <laughs> now, Tell me, Santa, we're, we're always interested in businesses here at Monocle, but you're you're the original entrepreneur, right? You yeah. run your own business and it always is on time. It runs like clockwork. Yeah. What's your what's your secret? How do you ensure that your business is so perfect every year? It's so perfect and everything is possible because I have so many helpers. I guess a lot of people who are trying to run a business like yours, they don't have any magic dust they don't have reindeer they don't have any elven yeah. helpers mm. so you do have a few strategic advantages I, I suppose I have a few extras <laughs> that nobody else has yes is there a, a kind of a, a finishing school do you have like a kind of an MBA in uh, Christmas administration <laughs> or is it just all it's all knowledge I guess you acquire in the course of doing your job right yes it is it is now of course elves have to practice and there's all kinds of elves you know But they are all very handy. Okay. Almost all. There are a few that. Oh, there's a few are... troublemakers all there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Elves behave how they're quite wild sometimes. Oh, but okay. they like what they are doing. It's their job. It's their hobby. It's their life. Okay. And uh, did you know that some of the elves are even older than me? Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. If you see somebody you know in the in the supermarket or in the marketplaces here in London. It may be. It, it's not me. It's some of the oldest elves. 
Ah, okay. So keep keep your eyes keep yeah. your eyes peeled, and, and tell me about how you continue to innovate because there's always new innovations in yeah. your story and in I guess the way you get around and all these kinds of things. Is it important to keep things keep things fresh in I, terms of how you do your your business yeah. each year? I think it is very important to keep things simple. Okay. I make changes, you know, we make together with elves and with all the people around the world. We are thinking it together. And I guess sometimes when there's uh, tough times around the world, yeah. it's volatile times, yeah. it's really good that we come together. That's a, that's the key message, I guess, right? Even to people who you don't necessarily get to meet face-to-face, yes. is that the message you'd like to broadcast around the world? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it's very important. Yes. And tell me, it's very busy. Your work is seasonal, obviously, mainly. Yeah. How do you how do you recharge and keep things fresh and relax and relax for the rest of the year? You have a few well, months to get yourself I have, uh, relaxed. I have. I like the summertime a lot. Okay. Very much. I like fishing. I like swimming, and I like to be with my reindeers, and of course with Mother Christmas. Yeah. And we are doing you you know some relaxing things like sleeping under a tree uh, oh lovely yeah. so lots of R&R yeah. for, for a few months yeah. um, well look Santa it's always a delight to see you here at, at Monocle and it's great to get some of your insights I'm happy to be here for our listeners around the world thank you very much for, you. for coming to Japan. Merry Christmas and for more Christmas content stay tuned to the curator here one of the most visible ways our cities change during the festive season is the addition of Christmas markets of course and some of the toughest to beat at this game are those in the German speaking world who excel when it comes to creating the perfect festive pop-up we asked Monaco's Jessica Bridger to send us an ode to the Christmas market By late November, most of the Northern Hemisphere is cold, dark, and a bit unforgiving. City streets from Boston to Berlin are gray, and even the most committed city lovers sometimes question their fascination with urban areas. This is the backdrop to the magical transformation that Christmas markets bring to many European cities. We rarely think of cities as magical, but the holiday season brings a lot of magic to urban places. The genius lies in the truth that Christmas markets reveal. That truth is, we all hunger for urban places that are simple, bring people together, offer small pleasures and easy access. Places that feel transformed promise, in turn, our own transformation. We will be more loving, have more fun, see more friends, take more time to enjoy life. We promise ourselves all of this, and we think... Had we forgotten how happy a glass of mulled wine makes us? I've lived in the German-speaking world for 15 years, and every year, as Christmas nears, public squares, large and small, are set up for the pageant of lights, wooden sheds, and outdoor fires. Everything gets a little more gemütlich. From Berlin to Munich, Zurich to Baden, markets reflect the cities they're in. The markets of Berlin range from the downscale kitsch of Alexanderplatz with tacky industrial souvenirs and syrupy glue vine to the splendor of Gendarmenmarkt, grand with pointed top tents and a massive Christbaum. But like anything in Berlin, one must also seek out the quieter places, hidden and ready to discover. My favorite is the small market, one street long, on Sophienstrasse in Mitte, German-made wooden crafts, quality food and drink, 
all tucked into a cozy side street. Munich is altogether an exercise in Christmas cheer, easy in the pretty southern German city. The entire center dresses for the season, twinkling lights, evergreens, and ribbon. It is not enough in Munich to simply offer the golden triumvirate of Glühwein, market stalls, and fairy lights. Each market has a distinct offer. There's the wild bazaar of circus tents at Olympia Park, or the Christmas festival, which happens on Theresienwiese, the location of Oktoberfest, and the Middle Ages costume Mittelaltlicher Weihnachtsmarkt. Munich aims to please. Christmas markets in Switzerland tend to be a little bit more well-organized and even well-rounded, and avoid the kitsch almost entirely. One of the best is in the center of Zurich, next to the opera house and the lake. Food goes beyond the usual bratwurst and reflects international Zurich, from Afghan Bolani flatbread to Tibetan Momo dumplings. There's excellent wine, and you can stop to sip in many covered places complete with couches. In fact, even in the rain, the market is a wonder, a refuge complete with seasonal cheer. Life pulls at us. The world sometimes weighs heavy. We walk city streets wondering about our lives, worrying our own worries. We hear news, good and bad, global and personal. We make reservations, we plan trips, we see friends, family, co-workers. Days to weeks to months. Yet we are all looking for those special things, the spectacular, the instances where our answer to life is a heartfelt yes, an embrace, a mug of hot wine, as a Shanghai colleague calls it. The best cities answer to this, not all the time, but at least sometimes. Christmas markets are a little bit of the wonderful life in twinkling lights with crackling wood fires and the smell of roasting chestnuts. For Monocle in Zurich, I'm Jessica Bridger. And now, let's join Monocle's deputy head of radio, Tom Webb, as he takes us on a whistle-stop tour of this year's Monocle Christmas Market in Zurich. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Food Neighbourhoods and we are from the Monocle Christmas Market in Zurich. I'm just standing in the snow but I am going to go into the warm bowels of the building. We are underground, we are under the studio, I'm with a roaming mic and we're going to start a culinary tour of the delights here and I have to say there's quite a wonderful array and selfishly I'm going to go straight to what I want most, and it's chocolate. And I've got Laura from the floor here. Hello, Laura. What have you got on your stool today? Hi, Tom. Hi. Hi, welcome to our chocolate stand, La Flor. We produce here in Zurich chocolate. We work with cacao from five origins from four countries, Ecuador, Venezuela, Brazil, and Colombia. And each place has a different flavor, so each chocolate has a different flavor based on where it comes from. I need to try some of this. What would you recommend I start the account? I'm going to open it now. Yes, so I brought today I brought along two chocolates from Ecuador. They're from Ecuador, but they taste very different. One is from a natural reserve in Esmeraldas, and it's 75% cacao. And if it's 75%, that means the rest is sugar. So it's 25% sugar, 75% cacao. And if you try that chocolate, it's a little bit fruity. 
And then I have another chocolate also from Ecuador, but from another place. And that cacao tastes a little bit more like malt and honey and coffee. So if you want to try it. Let's start with the, yeah, let's start with the fruity one, please. So I'm looking at it. This one here, it's got a a lovely rich color, very dark. Please describe what I'll be tasting as I do so, please. So, so the chocolate that you're tasting, it's, um, it's not bitter. It's a little bit fruity. It shouldn't be too sweet, but there is sweetness to it. And, and a lot of people expect when it's a lot of cacao that it's very bitter and dark. But based on the quality of the cacao and how we work it with it, we work like very uh, crafty. You have all these flavors. So what, do, or what did you taste? Did you taste that kind of the fruitiness? I did taste the, the fruitiness and I was expecting bitterness and there wasn't at all. It was smooth, beautiful chocolate. And can you explain, you're a new generation of Swiss chocolatiers. Why, what is that? So we make chocolate with less sugar and less milk. Milk chocolate is very present in Switzerland, which is great, but it's more a candy. And to create chocolate with less sugar and more flavor is, for us, very interesting. And um, based on how the farmers work or where the cacao comes from, you have all these flavors. And there's more flavor in chocolate than milk and sugar. So that's what we tried to portray. And I'm looking for more flavor now. One last chocolate, please. Is this the honey? Yes. So try the Hacienda Limon. So this is 74% cacao. And that's more cacao or less than what I just had. At 1% less. 1% less. less. So it should be not bitter again. Yes. So this chocolate has a little bit of bitter note, but not still very, very soft. You're also trying it. So we've both got a mouthful at the moment. So apologies. It's absolutely beautiful. And I do taste the honey. Where is the honey from? It's the um, variety of the cacao. So this cacao is um, it's a heirloom variety from from Ecuador that they don't grow anymore very often and it has like this flowery but it's like this orange blossom flavor honey malt coffee and it's just this is my favorite chocolate in the morning I love this chocolate in the morning I think it's just so explosive and I love this chocolate right now thank you very much indeed we're going to move on thank you Laura I will be back for some more samples later I'm going to walk further through the market and past the gorgeous hat stand it's rabbit hair which apparently in the snow is quite a good thing it's time for something more sweet actually I can see some panettone I'm going to dive in and taste some I have with me Mireille Mireille hello I'm after some panettone please come over fighting through the crowds here everyone wants a taste hello can you tell us about your lovely stool here please uh, we are selling uh, today. We are selling panettones, very good panettones house Verona. And what can I say about the panettones? You have to taste them. I'm going to dive right <laughs> you have in. To taste them. I'm going. You will. I'm sure you will say it better as as me. I'm taking a big wedge here. Can you tell me what variety you've but got? Many, many no, here. The interesting thing is that they are made with surdos. So it means uh, you can they keep fresh very, a very long time and they are made with uh, real butter and good fruits and yeah, it's, it's an experience. It's not only a panettone, it's an experience and it's also Christmas spirit and it's very important. 
and you say fresh. It's been sitting out for a while, those samples, I can tell, but it's very soft. It's almost as if it's just been baked. Yeah, and but um, you know, from for such a panettone, for example, there are may, uh, more than uh, 35 hours of uh, preparation, and the way they are doing it, and because of the sodas, uh, as I said, you can no, you can help them a, a long time. And what else do you what else do you have here? Uh, here uh, there is orange jam. We are prepare, uh, My kids are preparing it in Engadine, and we have taken it uh, today because it go it goes very well with panettones. And okay, it's a, a good um, how do you say a good mix a good mix and you have a good mix here on offer thank you very much i hope they they fly off the shelves i will be back for more of those i'm going to take one home with me i think we're going to end with a bit of wine actually and it's the perfect way to finish here but it's not just wine we have a publication to match i've got tom with me do please tell me what you've got here on your stall Hey there, so we have a publication from our publishing house uh, called Edizioni Dimenticabile. The book is called Pancia Mia Fatti Capanna, which is a typical way of saying in uh, Italian, uh, which means uh, my belly uh, makes space to get good food. And we talk this uh, way of saying just to explain uh, what's inside in the book. What's inside the book is a collection of story of a great territory. You can find a story about people, about product, about um, places, about uh, received uh, from the typical uh, history. But we wanted to put together a contemporary vision of, uh, of our great territory. And it's not just a book here because I can see some red wine. Can you tell me, it's not just any ordinary red wine. Please tell me what I'm looking at here. Yeah, the great thing with this book is like uh, bringing a friend, a local friend that bring uh, you to, the, to discover what you can find uh, in Ticino. And uh, we talk this wine uh, just to uh, show to, uh, and to let taste the people uh, what they can find. So today we have... Uh, two wines from uh, La Tenuta Castello di Morcote. We have a, a red wine, um, which is uh, like bio and biodynamic. And uh, we have a white wine. And people are really, I have to say, uh, they're really enjoying. They're really uh, tasting and they're saying, wow. And if they're lucky enough to enjoy the vineyard, they're in the world's best village? Yeah, Morcote was elected the best village in Switzerland. It's really a stunning place. They have a castle uh, around the, the winery. And uh, this um, winery is uh, really on the lakeside. So it's really amazing as a place to, to visit in the Lugano region. Well, cheers to that. Thank you very much and all the best today and tomorrow. That is everything from the Food Neighbourhood Special. I do have a sample. I will cheers you and have it quietly in the corner. If you are looking for the next Christmas market, the Monocle Christmas Market is coming to London. So do not miss it. Hopefully see you there. Tom Webb and
and we have more Thomas because he's being a very busy man this year because this time he guides us through the delicious drinks offering at the London leg of the Monaco Christmas market. Hello and welcome to the second part of our special edition of Food Neighbourhoods. Yes, it is the Monocle Christmas Market and this week we are in London. Now we have exchanged the snowy weather of Zurich for a rather drizzly London fog. However, it's going to clear up and there is a fine spirit here in the making. Now, speaking of spirits, we're going to do a special walk and talk of the fine foods and drinks available here today. And I'm going to begin with Gabriella. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well. How are you? I'm very, very good. I'm a little bit wet. You're dry under this beautiful market you've got. What are you selling, please? We are selling Kuru, which is a spirit, well, a portfolio range of spirits from a Finnish distillery. We have whiskey, we have gin, we have dairy cream, and there's more to that portfolio. What is so distinct about a Finnish distillery? About Finnish, well, many things. Uh, first of all, is uh, a different expression of terroir, which is like, you know, everything that goes into the soil, the air, the environment that gets, you know, translated in the product. Uh, and also the method of production are different from the traditional ones and I'm very thirsty I know it's a little bit early but it's six o'clock somewhere can I try some of your product please sure what would you like to try first the whiskey let's get let's get that whiskey fired up I need something to warm me and please describe what I'll be tasting as I sip this whiskey I'm not going to be downing it in a shot by the way all right, so what you're going to be tasting is uh, a whiskey that is quite peppery as uh, it is a rye whiskey and, uh, you know, rye whiskey is more spicy than uh, other grain whiskey. Uh, also, it's going gonna, it's gonna to taste like, I find that it has a lot of notes of butter and uh, uh, vanilla and uh, peanut, which is quite distinctive. Yeah, so these are the main notes that... I believe you'll be able to find right away. And how can you achieve a buttery peanut noted whiskey? Well, that is the secret of the distillery. It's the method, it's the process, it's the fermentation and distillation. And aging, of course. My goodness, that is smooth. And I feel like I'm aging as I drink it. How long has that been aging for? Oh, that I cannot tell. I cannot tell you. It is a blend. A lot of secrets behind your business. Uh, have you got any new products coming up? Uh, we do have a pink gin and uh, we do have a dark gin, which is an aged gin. And as the distillery puts it, it's a gin for where the weather sucks. But that's coming up. We don't have them right now. Seems very suitable for today. Now, with whiskey distilleries, there are often side products as you're waiting for a undisclosed yes. amount of years. What else have you got? Correct. We do have a gin, which is made with uh, Finnish botanicals, uh, such as birch and uh, meadowsweet. I'm going to have you taste a little. I would absolutely love to. I'm feeling a little bit tipsy from this. That was a beautiful whiskey, by the way. Thank you very much. Told you. And I should say, beautifully designed bottles. Who is behind the branding here? So it is five guys, five uh, friends that came up with um, uh, the idea of like 
making, like setting up a distillery and uh, starting their business while they were having a sauna, as you do in uh, Finland. They were sipping rye whiskey and they thought it would have been a great idea to make their own. That is very, very Finnish. There is a very strong botanical coming through in this. Oh, yeah, what is absolutely. This? That is what the that is what the gin is. So of course there is a dominant uh, juniper note. But as I said, there are local Finnish botanicals such as birch, which is like pretty unique to uh, this product. Thank you very much. No Cheers. Problem. I hope the day goes well for you. I'm feeling very warm inside now. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to move through the market now. And it's getting very, very busy. I can see reindeer being crowded around. Reindeer making a return this year. I'm looking in front of me right now. There's more alcohol. Yes, it's going to be an alcohol special. This looks to me like an English wine. Let's find out more. I've got Sergio with me from behind the company. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm feeling warm inside because I've just had a whiskey. Are you going to provide me with more alcohol? I certainly can. I I think that's the way forward. We have uh, some very good breakfast wines uh, that we present to people on occasion on days like this. I love a breakfast wine, and I'm definitely in the mood for one. Please tell us about your product. Sure, yeah. So we're an urban winery based in South London. Um, we're called Blackbrook, obviously, as you mentioned. Um, but we specialize in something that um, is going a bit against the, 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 the trend of English sparkling wine, but we specialize in still wines. And we make a range of single vineyard English wines with from grapes all sorts within two hours. Um, but within that, we really primarily focus on Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, which are two varieties that I really love um, and have worked with globally. And can I taste one of these wines? It doesn't have to be the beautiful wines you've just described. Well, I think everything tastes better out of bigger bottles. So we'll, we'll crack open our, our magnum of Chardonnay 2021. Um, the grapes... Uh, The grapes come from uh, a great grower in Essex called Clayhill Vineyards. Um, He provides us and has continued to provide us with mainly our our Chardonnay and Pinot Noir for core range. So what we're going to try is our 2021 Painter of Light Chardonnay. Let's see if you get the pop. I'm putting the mic right by it. And I have to say, it is a gigantic magnum. There we are. My word, I hope I wasn't talking over that. That was a big moment. My uh, my, my psalm days are well behind me. But uh, yeah, here we are. So this is our our 2021 Chardonnay. It is fermented uh, in barrel, about 20% new, and we age it for a year. Um, It's a bit, we're more minimal intervention. Um, So we use indigenous yeast and just bacteria. We sometimes filter, we sometimes don't, so... That, yeah, that is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoy it. Incredibly uh, unique flavor, but it's going down very, very well. Yeah, it's a little alcohol as well. It's 11.5%, so like I said, perfect daytime drinking. So, And what other products do you have here on the stool today? So we have um, our entire core range, which is um, our Paint of Light Chardonnay. We have a special uh, release, which is our mid-tier Chardonnay called Pygmalion. And we only make that in the best vintages. We have our... 21 Rosé, uh, made from Pinot Noir, and then we have our 21 uh, Nightjar Pinot Noir. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have Experimental Range, which is our GMF. It's our sparkling wine, the only sparkling wine we make. Um, and we have a field blend called Drum Space, um, which if you're a Grateful Dead fan, you know. 
So I do know. Do you know? Yeah, there you are. Um, so that's a conglomerate of, of four different varieties from a single vineyard. So true field blends. So you very generously opened up this huge magnum. I hope you get good value out of it. If I were to order this, could I get it online? Where do I find you? Yeah, you can certainly order online, um, blackbookwinery.com. Um, we have our full range there. We've only brought part of our range today. Um, we can only fit so many bottles on a table. Um, but we have the full range there. We also have a special release um, called Headlights On, which is a collaboration with a musician from America called um, Wild Nothing. So only 120 bottles of that with an album bundle. So, yeah, get involved. I'm completely sold. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Cheers to you. Hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. And that is it from the Monocle Christmas Market Special. And that is it for all of our Christmas markets, in fact. Thank you very much for listening. And from Monocle and Monocle Radio, we wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. UBS has over 900 investment analysts from over 100 different countries. Over 900 of the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in the world of finance today. To find out how we could help you, contact us at UBS.com. We're back here with The Curator, our weekly highlight show here at Monaco Radio. In cities worldwide, Christmas crafts are closely linked with their regions and people. Works might span from bespoke festive decorations made by carpenters to custom nativity sets by traditional craftspeople. And it's something that Monaco's Isabella Jewell investigated in the special report from southern Italy. On an evening walk along one of Naples' busiest streets, I discovered a small hole in the wall under some scaffolding. Blasting Christmas music into Via dei Tribunali, a hand-painted sign reads Museo Permanente del Presepe, the permanent museum of the Neapolitan nativity set. Inside I met Francesco Viscione, a small man with bushy eyebrows. He's smoking a cigarette and drinking an espresso. Around him are work tools, boxes of cork and pallets of paint. And in the centre of his studio, a grand five-storey nativity set, in Naples, it's called a presepe. Ci sono tutti i personaggi del presepe. E questo è il grottino degli asini, tutti i nomi di fantasia. Francesco talks me through his presepe. That droning noise in the background, well, it's the entire five-foot structure rotating. You see, in Naples, the nativity set isn't a simple affair. Il presepe rappresenta noi, l'umanità in cammino. Francesco tells me that the point of the Neapolitan presepe is that it represents us, humankind, as we move forward. On his mega structure, he has tens of little figurines. Troviamo la bella donna come te. <laughs> Troviamo la vecchia, la brutta. Troviamo. Characters include the beautiful woman, the ugly, the old, the young, the rich, and the poor. You may also recognise some other classic nativity characters like Mary Joseph and the baby Jesus and the three wise men. In the Neapolitan presepe, they kneel in front of a cave instead of a stable. Francesco's presepe is lit from within with LED lights and on the second floor is a fully functioning miniature waterfall. 
But for this retired musicologist, Prosepe making is just a hobby. Per me, personalmente, che sono un amatore, il presepe mi viene in automatico. The self-professed amateur comes to his workshop at the end of a day to unwind. He tells me that presepe making is a skill that comes to him automatically, like muscle memory. Just down the street, though, on a straight road called Via San Gregorio Armeno, the art of presepe making is far from a hobby. It's a trade which goes back centuries. We should really start from the very beginning, telling a little bit of the story of the presepe in Naples that, is, that becomes very famous because... During the 18th century, they started creating nativity scenes that were absolutely magnificent. I met Carmine Romano a few hundred metres away from Francesco's workshop. He's an art historian and curator and has written several books about the Neapolitan presepe. We are going up, we are passing through San Gregorio Armeno, which is, in the last 60, 80 years is really considered as uh, the most important streets for Christmas decorations and, of course, for the crash, the presepio. We are entering in an important building from the 12th century with a nice courtyard and, of course, it's a pastiche of other architecture with the Aragonese period and Spanish period. And um, there are some... Um, what we call uh, uh, scoglio, which is uh, sonography for the presepe. The presepe is usually the ensemble of a sonography and, uh, of course, the figures themselves. In front of us in this courtyard are an array of beautiful presepe, multi-storey miniature buildings with caves, open rooms and often the ruins of a classical temple. Inside are a multitude of little figurines. The scenography is made by cork and is painted cork. Of course, we have also, as you can see here, we have some papier-mâché, we have some glued paper and uh, wood, real branches of trees with leaves, still dry leaves, to keep it everything more natural. These presepi have a really organic feel. They're covered in moss and decorated with twigs. Everything is painted in warm tones, yellows, browns and greens. It feels like we've left the 21st century behind and have travelled back 300 years. The crash itself is really a baroque product. So you really uh, try to, to imitate the life of everything. So when you want to recreate a food, for example, they were using wax because the transparency and the texture of the wax is very close to the food. Everything must be like it would have been in the real life. And it's not just the materials that are Baroque. All the figures in the Neapolitan presepe of the 18th century are dressed up like contemporary style girls, women, and men, of course, and also all the objects and also everything that is on the crash, like houses and objects of daily life, they are just reproductions of what you would have been in the 18th century. So it's also a document, an historical document of what was the life of Naples in that period. We have um, a body that is made by iron uh, uh, wire and also hemp to give the consistency of the body and also to give the possibility to move the hands and the limbs. And then 
you would have had a head that is in terracotta, which is the only part of the of the figure that is modeled by the artists, and then dress up like with clothes and uh, real um, fabrics. Alongside the elaborate cork nativity sets on Via San Gregorio Armeno are rows of shops selling individual figurines called pastori. In contrast to the historical nativity scenes, these pastori can be a little more kitsch. Il presidente Biden, il principe William con la consorte, il sempreverde Maradona, Marilyn Monroe, Karl Lagerfeld per quanto riguarda la moda. That's right, we've travelled from the late 17th century, early 18th century to the modern day. Gennaro Gigliano works in a traditional workshop here. He points out many Maradonas and members of the British royal family. You may think that the artisans here are simply cashing in on tourism, producing jokey celebrity memorabilia. But just like the Presepe, these figures are part and parcel of the artisan tradition of this neighbourhood. Since the Greek and the Roman period, this street was full of shops of artisans that were creating small little figures in terracotta that were given as an ex votum to the temple. So what they do now is just what they were doing even before Christ was born. So it's <laughs> even before the Christianity, it's just uh, reusing the old figures and personage in a kind of new way. Just now I saw a man dragging an entire presepe wrapped in bubble wrap. Yeah. Is this still something that people have in their homes in Naples around Christmas time? Everyone that can consider himself as a Neapolitan must have a crash in the house. Of course, it's your grandpa that brings you in front of the crash for the first time and explains to you all the details and all the fruits and vegetables and the animals, the cats and the sheep. And at a certain point, there is a, a personage that is called Benino and is a, a sleeping shepherd just right in the corner. Benino is an essential character in the Neapolitan Presepe. He's always asleep, curled up against a rock, and often surrounded by 12 sheep, representing the 12 apostles. And at a certain point, usually the grandfather tells you, shh, be quiet, don't speak loud, because if he wakes up, the entire crash disappears, because the crash is the dream of Benino. I presepi are a fundamental part of Neapolitan culture and history. And while other traditional crafts slowly disappear from the city's streets, like the tailors and leather shoemakers, it seems like the nativity artisans are here to stay. We have some families that are passing their knowledge from the father to the son. We are now in front of Ferrigno, Capuano. That's the fourth or the fifth generations of artisans. This year, for example, the mayor is founding this new school for artisans of the Presepe, trying to pass this knowledge because it's bringing money. Of course, we had the COVID period that put everyone down, but after it, it has been like an explosion. For Monocle in Naples, I'm Isabella Jewell.
And now a highlight from our business show, The Entrepreneurs. It's about Lapland, UK. Founders Alison and Mike Batto talk about the inspiration behind the festive theatrical experience, its international appeal, and plans to make its magic accessible beyond the event itself. We sell out a show of about 100, 175,000 people in March and it takes about an hour to send them all out and we never spend a pound on marketing. It's just purely word of mouth. Pretty impressive. So, Alison, tell me about this idea of doing something different at Christmas because I think everyone has their own sense of what the traditions mean mm -hmm. and the behaviours that they like to do. But essentially what Mike says, there, you clearly had this idea that something was missing. Where did that idea spring from? What, what, yes. what did you notice wasn't there that you wanted to, to deliver? So I would say that Lapland UK is a purpose-driven company. And my early career was in primary school classrooms. So as an infant school teacher for 20 years in Lewisham, loved every moment of it. And during that time had four sons of our own, four boys in four years. And with my primary school training, I was very able at creating magical moments within the home for the boys. But to us, Christmas really defined childhood. It was that time of the year where we all reconnect with our own childhood memories, what it's like to be a child, but also witness our own children in that most precious fleeting moment of childhood innocence and awe and belief. So, as I said, in our home, we could do lots of wonderful, magical things. The problem was when we left the home for that time-honoured tradition of meeting Father Christmas, that's where I felt things went slightly downhill because we tried most activities that you could find, certainly in this country, be it stately homes or big stores or garden centres, everything, steam trains in between. And I always felt that it didn't deliver the level of importance that I placed on this moment. So I felt that it was a moment to be honoured and respected and really cherished so that you could capture these childhood moments and memories. And I didn't feel that anywhere was really doing that in a way that I felt was as important as at the moment. You mentioned the idea of how special it is and you kind of know that it's not going to be there forever with your kids as they get mm -hmm. a bit older and maybe they become a little cynical. Yep. But I guess part of it must be, wow, if we get this right we can keep doing this every mm -hmm. year and we can keep that going. I mean, was that, maybe that was the thing yeah. that dawned on you as it took root and became successful. You were like, actually, the magic's kind of kind of go on even if our boys well, yeah. move on uh, a little bit. Well, to be honest, we didn't really sort of set out to create a business. We set out to create a magical experience for families that I felt we hadn't found for our own sons and, and our boys were growing up. They're all in their high 20s now. So, yeah, it's just a kind of a very lucky sort of offspin for me that I'm still inhabiting that world for young children. But, yes, it was this, this feeling that it is a bittersweet time because you know it is so fleeting and they will grow, blink, and they've grown. So it was so important to me that we captured those moments and those memories. And I felt there was nowhere that really allowed families to revel in this precious, what I call the wonder years, the sort of time of imagination before information. That's very well put. Well, let's talk about what it is exactly. And Mike, one of your parts of your sort of title that you were talking about before is the idea of being a the producer of this crazy enterprise, what sets it apart then and what goes into it? Because it's quite the undertaking. It is. And um, to Alison's point, it's all been driven 
in many ways by the purpose we just want to make it incredible that's really where it started but there's probably a reason poor old christmas and father christmas haven't really been looked after properly for many years because it's very difficult you need to create a world so fundamentally you can't do the show in a conventional theater so that means you are actually building the theater every year from scratch and then putting the show on in it so that's the first one the second one is you're dealing with quite a tricky audience they don't sit still they want to go to the toilet they want to get something to eat they're this they're that they're engaged they're not engaged so that needs to be built into the experience as well also there was no real source material if you speak to an average well-informed five-year-old you ask them about a well-known children's story like Winnie the Pooh they'll know the whole world Christopher Robin all of his friends where with Father Christmas they say tell me more about Father Christmas who runs the toy factory who looks after Rudolph all of this they don't know any of this so we had to create a world and Alice and I are now six books in in creating all that so that was the sort of identity of the I suppose the challenge of the problem and the other thing I suppose is that as the believing years they do go up to say nine nearly ten years old so the quality and the level of the production that you need to deliver so that a slightly tricky nine ten year old believes have to be extraordinarily high and remember for your show that you're running you've only got six weeks so all of this has to happen in six weeks so there's been a a huge i suppose barrier to making this a better experience for people and i think probably possibly to objectify myself and Alison, the thing that's kept us going is that we're passionate about this and that was the fuel we were burning as parents mums and dads before we were entrepreneurs really that we weren't going to give up and we've had twists and tails like every um, entrepreneurial business but that's what sort of got us through and made us i suppose solve all those problems and now because the public have always wanted it, but no one's ever been able to deliver it. I suppose this is why we get this sort of British institution engagement. (laughs) I think we didn't really understand back 17 years ago that we were actually at the zeitgeist of this new immersive movement. We just knew it had to be believable. It had to be of a quality and a scale and a attention to detail, that the children would believe everything they saw and the parents would love everything they saw. So it has to be on a scale which is unprecedented for it to be magnificent and the home of Father Christmas, but it also has to be every tiny little detail. There's no plastic, there's no resin. Everything you touch is real. It's a real prop. It's come from northern Europe and every every little detail we go to all the letters in the post office are genuine letters from the North Pole and we ask parents to put the invitation in the freezer before they deliver it from Father Christmas so we go to the nth degree to make it there's, believable. There's a, bi- there's a billion details and I, and I suppose in the shorthand of it Tom is we build about 25 film sets in a forest in Ascot and then we put a West End show on in the middle of it and you are at the centre of it. And then you add in thousands, thousands yes of children and that's the that's the variable this is my point i guess when you've only got one go to get it right per annum i guess you can't get every one of those billion details correct you get you probably get pretty close what's that like because lots of entrepreneurs i talk about say well there's always then you know the next season or we can do the next iteration of the product and we can tinker you can't really tinker obviously you can year from year but it is one go only that's a big pressure and yet you seem to wear that quite quite lightly do you just have to get used to it i mean how does that work there's it's, it's you're, you're absolutely right it's a, it's a huge responsibility it's about the team and the people absolutely right and we almost do a hundred percent record that's the way we we approach this we have a 
a meeting of, you know, we employ nearly a thousand people for when the show runs these days. And we have a, an induction day. And I'm famed at the end of it. I always say to all of these performers who are you know, often full of themselves and, you know, full of joy of what they're about to do. But I say to them, shut your eyes and I'm going to say one word. And then the word I say is Christmas. And then I say, okay, open your eyes now. And I say, whether you like it or not, a memory has seared into your memory due a link to that word. And I said, these children that come, they're likely to remember you, not next week, next month, they're likely to remember you for the rest of their lives. So then all of that community just go, oh my God, this is like huge responsibility. So then every child, every touch point, and I suppose that it really is the cliche, the magic is in the detail and getting it right again and again and again. And also, I think the suppliers, we do work with the very best. So our costume makers, our West End costume makers, our set designers, our Hollywood set designers, our suppliers are the best in the business. So we're giving ourselves the best chance to be successful. Uh, you're quite exacting then. Sometimes, these, do you think these suppliers are like, oh, no, the battles are on the phone. Yeah. What are they going to be asking? <laughs> or do, you, do, do actually, do they like it? Because it's like, they're going to test me. They're going to push us. We're going to have to raise the bar. I at, think again. they're all incredibly proud of Laplan because it is a a team effort you know we've all been on this journey lots of the suppliers have been with us since the beginning so 17 years and it is almost like a family that comes back together in the forest at Christmas and it's, it's a whole kind of joy de vivre we're back building in the forest and everybody wants to put their best foot forward and give these children the most special experience that they can and I think the whole team take that on board yeah we, we've lit the torch but it's not really just mine and Alison's Lapland. It's everyone's Lapland, and the people who are working there. There is an energy there. There is an energy that you're about to do something special, or you're involved with something special, and that has always been the case. It's lovely stuff. Let me ask you about because I always wait for that time of year. I guess it's late in the calendar when you see that first batch of people who've been to these kind of knockoff Laplands, you know, under a motorway flyover somewhere. And there's always those pictures <laughs> on social news, somebody standing next to a sort of battered bit of awning, you know, and there's something melted. There's always those. Now, when you see those, I guess part of you must be like, great for us, because people know that if you want the sort of original and best, you've got to, you've got to come to Lapland UK. Or do you feel just sad because that is some kids' dreams dashed in the... I, I literally do feel sad because to us, we're all about honouring childhood and we say that our purpose is to honour childhood together. So we are providing this world for families to revel in with their children. And to me, it's all about the children. It is all about their belief and they only have one year in their life to be a certain age at Christmas. So those rogue operators have denied those children that one year of magic and, and I think it's unforgivable. Well, how do you then respond? Because presumably, we know there is the the battle view, and you've mentioned the books and the rest of it. People can literally read and see what what your idea is. But do you are you creeping around disguised as an elf in the background, sort of eavesdropping in and saying, "Actually, that is a good idea." Or I heard somebody mention this and this. How do you tinker around the edges? Is it exciting to add new bits in? Do you try and react to what people say? Christmas uh, means to them. How does that? How does that I, work? I, I suppose I, that would be me. I do very much see that we're in a, a sort of a role of possibly leadership, of ambition, of really what this subject, how it should be treated, and what is possible with it. And we make the investment. You know that that is the reality. We have we have a sustainable show because the show goes up, comes back down, but the the show essentially goes up again, and then we do refine and improve. And we do have a dialogue very much with our community or or the guests that come. And as Alan 
Alison said, it's honouring childhood together. We're not doing it to you, we're doing it with you. I always see Alison in some ways as being like a lot of these young families' big sister going, I know you're busy, I know you're this, I know you're that, but don't you I'm dare glad miss you didn't this. say granny. Sometimes it's <laughs> <says> granny. <laughs> yeah. uh, and tell me, do you, it must be funny because you must get a bit of the sort of de facto kind of Mr and Mrs Claus vibe a little bit does that ever happen you... well funnily enough um for many many years we stayed behind the curtain we 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 don't advertise because I don't want a child ever to see a billboard at a train station to say Lapland UK buy your tickets because to the children it's a real place. They receive a personalised invitation from Father Christmas because their help is needed in his toy factory this year. So you'll never see advertising for Lapland. And for many, many years we were the secret in the forest and that's the way I liked it, including us. We stayed behind the curtain. But now two of our sons have joined the business and they're much more media savvy, I suppose. And one is... <laughs> head of brand and he said no really you should come out from behind the curtain because people love a good family heritage british good good story i guess so now he has created a an instagram page for us and we are mr and mrs lapland and we actually are on site pretty much every day during the season just because i love the energy of it so much and we do have parents coming up to us now hello mr and mrs lapland so that's something to get used to it's very humbling because they're they're often are actually thanking us for creating this experience and this moment and they sort of say they're laying down memories that they'll will keep them warm in their old age you know that and it's very very humbling and you must almost be at the point i guess i'm trying to do the mental gymnastics a little bit there must be kids who were at the later end of the spectrum, right near the start of the journey, who were maybe bringing their kids through. I mean, that must be an amazing... Are we nearly there? Not quite so much, but we do have children who visited who now work for us. So, you know, yeah, so we do have that situation. It goes to your point of almost being like a a British institution. In the the summer, there's Chelsea Flower Show, then there's Glastonbury, and then in the the winter, Lapland pops up. And we're very flattering, but we've seemed to have inhabited that place now. And and as you said, I I can imagine that um, that type of thing where people will be bringing their own children and they went. And I often get approached by sort of grandmothers, it seems, who get so excited about the first child being born that even when the child is sort of in incubation they'll come up to me and say oh we'll see you in two years time you know and it's like okay (laughs) they're so excited about it we have to end with some christmas music shall we on a special edition of monocon culture georgia rogers and will hodgkinson joined robert bound in the studio for our annual review of the season's best festive music releases it's become an annual tradition and i feel like we should have our own soundtrack for it we'll work on it for 2024s always forget what year it is is that i don't know what that's a sign of are we in the mood this this is the beginning of christmas for me is the monocle christmas show (laughs) it is (laughs) that's right you've said the right thing will hodgkinson said the right thing georgie are you mince pie of the season lined up in front of me you're in the christmas catapult being fired at the target which is the 25th of december okay we should say steph has chosen who's produced today's show has chosen today's track she's looking at me with a look of i don't know confidence and mild chagrin now she's shaking her head through the studio glass we're going to start off with a Alanis Morissette's cover of Last Christmas. Last Christmas I gave you my heart But the very next day you gave it away This year to save me from tears I'll give it to someone special Last Christmas I gave you my heart But the very next day 
the unmistakable vocal stylings of Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Will Hodgkinson, is this making you feel full of Yule log or it makes me tied? Th- well, I tell you what it does. <laughs> the first thing, something about that voice makes me think about being in the early 90s, being, you know, going in teens, early 20s, and mm. smoking too many cigarettes and trying to be sarcastic. It's sort of <laughs> something about that. So when I first heard this, I thought, well, it's quite remarkable with Alanis Morissette that the hits were a long time ago, mm. and instantly you just recognise it, and it's sort of so evocative. Yeah. Something about her voice is so evocative. When I first heard it, I thought, why is she doing Last Christmas? Why has it got this horrible, nasty synth-pop backing? And, you know, what's the point in anything? And then I started listening to it. I thought, I actually really like this. There's something about it. It's, it's something is it quite... the irresistible melody of... Uh, uh, well, of there's always that. But I think also there's something... I think she must have a sense of humour. Because there's something... Because Alanis Morissette is the angsty queen of, you know, million-selling pop rock. Yeah. And for her to do Last Christmas, which is fun but cheesy... Yeah. Is showing some some sort of quality. So I think the combination of that voice, which reminds me of all those things, and Last Christmas, which was came out when I was a kid and was just like one of those songs that was always around, always. So, um, yeah, thumbs up from me. Okay, I like it, I like it. Does perhaps Alanis's ironic, angsty uh, delivery, does it work for you on this one? Or are you in, in Will's kind of, <laughs> actually, I'm feeling cosy with Alanis camp? Yeah, definitely feeling cosy with Alanis, I guess, in a similar way. Like for my me growing up, formative years, she was one of the most distinctive voices around. So it's always nice to hear that voice on anything. Wham! Last Christmas easily in my top five Christmas songs ever. Mm. But this is kind of straight down the line, isn't it? She hasn't really done anything uh, too jazzy with it. It's a bit like <laughs> she's got the karaoke set out at Christmas and is just singing along to yeah. the backing track. I don't I don't really feel like uh, music-wise it offered anything new. But that's, I mean, it's a classic. You want a classic version of it, really. But I'm here for it, definitely. Okay. I yeah, like it. Definitely here for it. And as Will pointed out, it is a fairly cheesy backing track. They haven't done anything kind of, they haven't reinvented the wheel. There's no, there's no guitar solo no. on it, no. for example. It's a plinky plonky sort of, you know. I mean, it's a Bon Tempe organ. It's about as cheap as it gets. You know, it's. it's I don't think it's cost anything. Yeah. The home karaoke machine. <laughs> Do you think this might have been recorded in a karaoke? But is this kind of recorded in you know, in a hotel? I don't think even it was. I think it was recorded in in her bedroom or living room when you know somebody said do a Christmas song. She went okay. Yeah. And I think that that's what she came up with. Also, bonus points for a very cute picture of her on the cover. Yes, yeah, as a kid, right? Yeah, as a very, kid, yeah. very cute. But I think it's a rip roaring start for us. Cheesy it may be, but it gets, it floats our boat and gets our vote. Well, Merry Christmas to you, and that's all we've got time for this week's edition of The Curator. The show was produced by David Stevens and presented by me, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Join us again next week, and thank you very much for listening.